If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everyone. It's Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. All right, here we go. This was on the uh, Freaks Group page on Facebook. Jesse writes, My nine-year-old has autism and is nonverbal to a point where speech therapists have literally given up on him because they say he just isn't going to talk. And there's no point in seeing him because it just won't work. He hears me listen to the podcast frequently, and I was just listening to the newest episode and the What You Got For Me song came on, and he started dancing like he usually does when he hears it. And then he happily looked at me and mumbled a little like he was trying to get something out. And after a minute, he said, got for me. What? What? I'm reading through the comments here, and there's just a ton of of beautiful, supportive comments from you freaks. One says they can't wait to hear us talk about this and hear you cry. Stop. It's so not nice. (laughs) (laughs) i wasn't even she has her glasses off no i don't and she's she's wiping her eyes with the back of her hands allergies i mean it's main spring okay all right that is i i've got to say doing this podcast has been a, a, a true joy from the beginning and the best part has been getting to know you freaks but when something like this comes across our desk, I have to sit there and say, what the fuck? What the fuck indeed? <laughs> Jesse, thank you so much for sharing that with the group. Um, yeah. And so with that in mind, what you got for me? What, what you, what, what you, what you got for me? What? What what you got for me? You, you all set? Yes, I'm fine. Whatever. Okay. <clears throat> okay. 
Um, one moment. <laughs> it's fine. Okay. Veronica Duncan was born in 1937 in a, a resort town on England's southern coast. Her father, Charles, Charles Morehouse Duncan, had been a major in the First World War. He died in 1939 in a car accident. And her mother uh, moved to South Africa, where she remarried. They did eventually, though, return to England. And as a young woman, Veronica moved to London, where she found work as a model and a secretary, and she later became the owner of a small printing shop, which sounds just about as friggin' quaint as I can imagine, like a very beautiful young lady running a printing shop in London. Isn't it sweet? I just want to eat it. Yeah, I can I can totally picture that in my head, where she's like running off personalized stationery and sending them individually and then putting them out for sale in the shop window. In the shop is spelled shoppy. Yeah. Yeah. She's wearing a headband. Uh, Veronica met Richard John Bingham, who was an elite Coldstream Guard member, and within a year they were married. He was an Anglo-Irish aristocrat, the eldest son of George Bingham, the sixth Earl of Lucan. Ooh. That sounds fancy. Mm. Mr. Bingham. Are we done? Mr. Bingham would inherit the title of Lord Lucan when his father died in 1964. After being discharged from the army, Lord Lucan joined a London-based merchant bank, and he was known for his expensive tastes. He raced powerboats and drove an Aston Martin. Um, in 1966, he unsuccessfully screen-tested for the part of Woman Times Seven, starring Peter Sellers and Shirley MacLaine. He felt like he wasn't meant to be an actor, even turning down an offer by Albert Broccoli to screen-test for the role of James Bond. Oh. In the 1960s, Lucan became a regular gambler and an early member of the Claremont Gaming Club. After he won 10 times his annual salary in an evening of Baccarat, he became a professional gambler. This is according to British GQ. He was famous for never showing emotion when playing games, whether he won or lost. Hmm. Veronica had said she was looking for a god, and Lord Lucan was a dream figure. I'm sure that there are happy wedding photos out there of the two of them. However, I have not seen one. <laughs> Veronica looks miserable in uh -huh. every single one of the wedding photos. She wants to get back to her stationery shop. And he just looks like he's won a game of Baccarat. <laughs> I don't know. It's he very had, weird. He had his Baccarat face on. So they had uh, three children and Veronica suffered pretty hard from postpartum depression she recalled, one day, shortly after my 34th birthday, I opened my wardrobe and found a stick there with its end wrapped in plaster tape. Turning to my husband to remark on this, I noticed that he seemed to be grinning peculiar, peculiarly. Peculiarly. Peculiar. Peculiarly. 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 There it is. Wait. No. Damn. At that moment, I thought, oh, my God, he's mad. He said, I'm going to beat those mad thoughts out of you. And that began kind of a really rough period where they were unhappy. He was abusive. She was taking prescription drugs for her depression, most of which are really heavy duty and now banned. It was rough. He beat her with a stick? He beat her with a stick. It 
The end of it was wrapped in what? Tape, so that he could grip onto it better. Oh, okay. It wasn't to dull the effect of the beating. It wasn't to soften the beating end of the stick. No. It was so he wouldn't lose his grip. That's correct. Okay. Um, she later said that she knew that he used discretion when beating her, that he could have hit her harder, but he oh, didn't. Okay. So I don't know. I think that there was a really strange relationship there where she felt like she had to explain away his vile behavior. Um, so anyway, by 1973, he had moved the family out of their five-story house into a cottage. And by her account, he became obsessed with gaining custody of the children. They were separating, and he was saying that she was mentally unfit and incapacitated due to her taking of these prescription drugs. Okay. Because of this custody battle, she had started to wean herself off of the drugs, and she'd hired Sandra Rivet in September of 1974 uh, to help as a nanny for the children. Okay. So Lucan had lost the custody battle and he was spying on his wife. He was recording their telephone conversations. He was obsessed with regaining custody of the children and he, you know, remained abusive, maybe not in the same ways, but certainly abusive um, after their separation. So they weren't living together. They weren't living was together. Was she in that little cottage and he went back to the five-story mansion or? Yes. Okay. That's my understanding. All right. I just want to, you know, be able to mentally picture this. They were separated. Now, when we say cottage, we should all consider that we mean seventh lord of <laughs> whatever right. cottage. Sure. Not backwoods main cottage. <laughs> you know, there's there's a big difference. It's probably there. indoor plumbing oh, is what you're saying. Oh, for yeah. Okay. So he became fixated on his gambling losses and with his custody battle with his uh, soon-to-be ex, or or now ex. And on November 7th, 1974, Sandra, the nanny, was asked to make tea for Lady Lucan in the basement kitchen. She wanted it brought up to her bedroom on the first floor where she was watching television. The children were asleep upstairs. The kitchen was rather dark when Miss Rivet was attacked by a man wielding a lead pipe wrapped in tape on the bottom oh. to enhance the grip. When Lady Lucan went downstairs to determine what in the world was delaying her tea, mm. she encountered Lord Lucan on the stairs, and he struck her with a pipe. And she said she escaped his clutches by grabbing onto his testicles and squeezing. So it was Lord Lucan on the stairway with a lead pipe. That's correct. Okay. Oh, man. You know what we're doing tonight? <sighs> Not Clue again. Oh, my God. Just beat me in the head with a stick wrapped in tape. I'm sorry. Why don't you want to play Clue with me? I hate Clue. <laughs> why do you hate Clue so much? Is it because you've never won? <clears throat> I think it's, it's, it's beneath my capabilities. <laughs> so, anyway, uh, she grabs his testicles. He uh, lets her go. And then... In, uh, so it was Lady Lucan in the stairway with the Lord's testicles. That's correct. <laughs> <Okay>. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then in like uber English fashion, uh, he asks for a glass of water. 
Lady Lucan uh, obliged, gave him a glass of water. They conversed a bit, and then he drove off in a borrowed car, and Lady Lucan ran to a nearby pub, bleeding from the head and screaming, he's attacked the nanny. Is the nanny dead? We're getting there, but yes. Lucan telephoned his mother, asking her to collect the children, and then drove this borrowed car to a friend's house in East Sussex. Police arrived to the scene and found the body of Sandra Rivet. She had been stuffed inside a U.S. mailbag in the home's dark basement. Lord Lucan had gone to the home of his friend, Susan Maxwell Scott, and he maintained that someone else had tried to kill his wife. He said that his wife had accused him of hiring the killer and he was going to, quote, lie doggo, which I had to look up. Yeah. What does that mean? It means like on the run. It means to to hide away. On the lamb? On the lamb. He took some time to call his mother and he wrote several letters. Hours later, he left the property and he disappeared. His friend said that she didn't call police because she didn't know that he was a wanted man, which seems, Hmm. I don't don't know. I don't know. The car that he was driving was found abandoned in New Haven. There was blood all over the interior uh, in the, the boot. The boot. Was a piece of the bandaged lead pipe that was similar to the one found at the crime scene. And police issued a warrant for Lucan's arrest. So a nationwide manhunt begins. Police used new contraptions like the thing called an autogyro, which was fitted with an infrared camera. It was kind of like a little tiny baby helicopter that flew over the countryside. So it was kind of like an early drone. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And it took x-ray pictures up to 2,000 feet above the Sussex Downs, which scientists hope would lead to clues as to where Lord Lucan had gone. That's according to Business Insider. The investigation, though, met some road bumps because of the people that they were interviewing. Lord Lucan's pals, according to The Independent, were doing their very best not to help. Now, they're aristocrats, and some of them might have had some, quote, patronizing and condescending attitudes. I see. So it's the House of Lords versus the House of Commons. Something exactly like that. Got you. Now, since he'd gone missing, there had been lots of alleged sightings, and uh, he'd been reported uh, seen in various countries around the world, but none have been substantiated. One theory was that he disappeared into Africa, and reports had also popped up that he'd been spotted in Australia, Ireland, and New Zealand. There's some suspicion that He did make his way into a foreign country, but that reports from other foreign countries had been made uh, to throw police off. Like, oh, yeah, no, I saw him in New Zealand. I see. So it was a coordinated effort. Indeed. There's another theory that he went to a zoo. So uh, Lady Osborne met with police and she told them the last that I heard of him, he was being fed to the tigers at my son's zoo. <laughs> oh, come on. So the, the word was that he had shot himself and let himself be eaten by tigers. Uh-huh. When uh, Lady Osborne's son That's the last I heard. I think I heard he, he shot himself and he was eaten by tigers. If I remember correctly. I'm not sure. Yeah. So Lady Osborne's 
son-in-law, John Aspinall, was questioned by police. Uh, He owned the private zoo. And he said, when questioned, that he served his tigers better quality meat than that, (laughs) which is cheeky AF. So October 23rd, 1977, the Sunday Mirror published a letter from Lady Lucan to her husband, appealing him to give himself up. Later in life, though, she said that she thought he had killed himself. She believed that he threw himself off a ferry, purposefully aiming to go under the propellers so that no one would find his body. Killing himself, she said, like the nobleman that he was. All right. That seems a little hinky. Right. You know, and now I'm starting to suspect Lady Lucan. Well, I mean, in the years following... She, this, this wasn't until much later in life. Right. So it's, it's, there's definitely a, a, an abusive dynamic here where even years later, she's finding ways to, I mean, she called him a nobleman. What the hell? Right. Yeah. So even though Lucan wasn't found, there was an official inquest in 1975 and it confirmed that he was the killer. Lucan's friend, John Aspinall, said that he believed that the Earl was guilty of Rivet's murder, but that he had taken his own life by jumping into the English Channel with stones tied around his body. There seems to be an awful lot of people who are like, no, he's dead. Stop looking for him. Right. Exactly. And uh, lots of excuses and explanations as to why his body was never found. Oh, no, he was eaten by tigers. Uh, No, he he dived under a boat propeller, Mm. which, by the way, would not eliminate the body. No, it It, would just chop it up into bits. Yeah, into little bits. Lord Lucan was the last person in Britain to be convicted of murder by an inquest jury. The jury took 30 minutes to Mm. reach their decision. Wow. In 1999, Lucan was declared legally dead. But a detective who led a new investigation into Lucan's disappearance 32 years after the murder told The Telegraph that evidence points toward the fact that Lord Lucan left the country and lived abroad for a number of years. In January of 2020, this year, according to Business Insider, Rivet's son, Neil, claimed that he discovered Lucan living in an unnamed city in Australia, living as a Buddhist. That's weird. Scotland Yard says it's currently looking into that claim. No kidding. Really? Is that right? All right. So who got the money? Well, I mean, he was pretty broke. He had gambled away most of his money. All right. So here's what I'm thinking. The oddest part of that story to me is that he kills the nanny. And then he attacks the lady on the stairs with the uh, lead pipe. And then they sit down for a cordial drink of water. I think, is it possible? Could it be that uh, Lady Lucan Mm -hmm. put some poison in the water when they sat down to talk? Oh, she just happened to have poison on hand? Yeah, she, well, yeah. In fact, she had called, she killed the nanny. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh-huh. To frame him. Whoa. And then called him over and then poisoned him, right? And then hit herself with a pipe and then put the pipe in his trunk, disposed of the body, and there you go. Yeah, but after the murder, he went to his friend's house and wrote a bunch of letters and made phone calls and stuff. That's what they want you to believe. But, okay, I think you just forgot about that part. I did. Um. <laughs> I was onto something there until you dashed my dreams against a rock like, now, like a piece of fine crystal. Now, I will say that some legitimacy is given to the theory that Lord Lucan did not go there with the intention of killing someone because he had a date planned for that night. Okay. And he didn't show up. He he stood this this new 
uh, chippy. But that could have been part of, you know, a plan. Or maybe he just made dates willy-nilly. And, <laughs> I, you know, who knows? Yeah, he's just fickle. It really is an interesting question like because there there are so many weird little ins and outs and uh i guess when it comes to people with money um i always question like oh, what are you getting away with yeah. you know <laughs> what's sad is that um i mean of course the the whole situation is terrible miss rivet had uh recently given up a child for adoption the child learned only like 20 years later that uh his mom had been murdered in this famous murder i mean there's a there's wow uh, the whole thing sucks yeah it really does and it is true if ever there was somebody that could fake their death mm. and or disappear it would be somebody with those types of connections. Yeah, who had been eyed for the role of James Bond. Oh. Mm-hmm. I see. So he had some spying skills is what you're insinuating? I think he thought he did. Sometimes that's all you need. We were going to call this segment Kevin, but it didn't do well in focus groups. So now we call it That Thing in the Middle. Off the Freaks group page, Hannah writes... Do y'all think of random questions constantly? Today, I just Googled, how many blades of grass are on the planet? (laughs) We got some great responses on that. These are things that some of the freaks have Googled. Number five, Rob writes, do flies sleep? Interestingly, we had several responses answering that question. Yes, they do. (laughs) Number four, Hollis questioned Google, how many calories does sex burn? They continue, there have actually been studies done about this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Number three, Danielle writes, I recently Googled what you would need to keep a lobster as a pet in a tank. I'm into it. Well, Kat always has been the animal lover. She told me a story about when she was a little girl. For her birthday, she asked her dad to take her to the supermarket where they bought a lobster out of the tank and then went down and let it go in uh, in the coastal basin. I mean, I didn't ask for that. Like, we didn't go to Hannaford's, I guess it was Shop and Save at the time. We didn't go to Shop and Save specifically for that. It was just we were there, and I asked if I could have it. I see. And so, yeah. Well, he bought you a lobster. Years later, he was like, you know, that lobster probably died. <laughs> <laughs> That's not cool. <laughs> not cool, Dad. Number two, Rebecca questions, do spiders ever get too full? That is a great question. That's the kind of weird shit that goes through my mind at like two in the morning. I love it. These are the kinds of thoughts that kept me out of the really good schools. (laughs) And number one, Carrie had a series of questions. Uh, Do birds have knees? How many murderers have I ever met slash interacted with? I think about that myself. I think I saw a study once that said it would be approximately, on average, six. Really? Mm-hmm. Carrie also asks, and have I ever been friends with a hermaphrodite? Oh, most definitely. The Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids. And they live about 3,000 miles away. And my daughter is expecting a child. And she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the aura frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life, Aura Frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. 
And here's the thing. If you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura frames. And living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, it's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code Oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com and use code Oddities at checkout, and you will save. Thanks, Aura Frames, for bringing my family a little bit closer. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. You know, as your kids get older, there are some things about parenting that gets easier. I remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece, if you put your pants on, I'll give you some fresca. And when kids can start to reason that they get something if they do something right, it's a lot easier to manage them. Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings. While kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. When I was a kid, I had expected chores, and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? <sighs> Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parents and kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash oddities. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. More fun than a Civil War reenactment without the smell of fried chicken, sweaty wool, and sunscreen. This is The Box of Oddities. So in a recent episode, I was uh, hypothesizing what it would take to uh, create a sex doll that self-destructed after you died. Yeah. So that there would be no evidence left. <laughs> uh, Sam writes, you see... I'm imagining more of a Toy Story-esque situation for sex dolls when the owners die. Like, as soon as you kick it, it crawls out from under your bed and says, well, looks like my job here is done, and then flies away to a secret sex doll colony on the dark side of the moon. <laughs> Turns out the sex doll council had a deal this whole time with NASA to keep the operation hush-hush. <laughs> 
That's what I was saying, Sam. I wonder if there's, uh, in addition to that, like an island for misfits sex dolls. <laughs> <laughs> like, I've just got one eye. <laughs> a cock ring for Tommy, a dildo for Sue. <laughs> a man with a whip saying, how do you do? That's a whole different Christmas story there. <laughs> Where sliding down your chimney means something entirely different. It's certainly not going to be a silent night. (laughs) (laughs) So Ken sent us an article on skinwalkers. Ken said, I saw one of these over Crybaby Bridge and it was horrifying. First of all, the name Crybaby Bridge is horrifying. Absolutely. But to see a skinwalker, Ken said... Literally, I could not sleep that night, and when I finally did fall asleep, all I could dream about was there was a skinwalker in my closet. Needless to say, I, I slept in the living room. I don't, I don't know what skinwalkers are. According to the lineup, skinwalkers, evil shapeshifters, are a mainstay in Navajo tradition and legend. Okay. The Navajo tend to keep their culture to themselves, and they also consider it dangerous to talk openly about this creature with outsiders. So, so it's like the the man who should not be named. Yes. Got it. Some of the eeriest facts about skinwalkers have managed to uh, seep out into the culture at large. Here are some of the things that uh, we do know about skinwalkers. And again, the Navajo people have a tradition of not talking about this Got outside it. of their own culture. Okay. Skinwalkers are actually known as witches in the Navajo culture. They used to be human. Some traditions suggest they'll steal your very skin. Skinwalkers can transform into any kind of animal, including you. Don't look at a skinwalker in the eyes. That's how they absorb themselves into your body and then control your every move. How do you... um, I have so many questions. Yes. How do you know if you're seeing a skinwalker? Oh, you know. We will will get to that. Okay. It's scary to think of them as humans, Skinwalkers are most frequently seen as wolves or coyotes or foxes, eagles, crows, or owls. The owls are not what they seem. The word skinwalker comes from um, a Navajo word, which is yineldushi. The word translates roughly into he who walks on all fours. They're said to be able to run great distances, up to 200 miles without stopping. Skinwalkers are not allowed to enter your home unless invited. Like a vampire. Very much like a vampire in that tradition. If you want to become a skinwalker, well, here's some easy steps. Uh, Okay. (laughs) Now, there are many theories about how one would become uh, a skinwalker. There's official ceremonies where people perform. um, They gather with them specific charms and chants. But one of the ritual acts to become a skinwalker, according to Navajo tradition, involves killing and then eating somebody you love. Oh. Now, by performing this act, you lose any humanity left in you. That's the idea. Once you're a skinwalker, you cannot undo it. Like a reaver. Stay shiny. You can kill a skinwalker by calling them by their true name. If you know who they are okay. and you call their name, they will die. Maybe not instantly, but over the next few hours. There's a hotbed of Skinwalker activity at Skinwalker Ranch. Have you heard of this place? No. Okay. All right. I read a book about this. Is it like the Bunny Ranch? Yeah, no. Because that could get freaky. (laughs) No. Skinwalker Ranch, according to Wikipedia, is also known as Sherman Ranch. It's a property located on approximately 512 acres southeast of Ballard, Utah. 
and it is a site that has had um, reports of strange activity for decades. Things like, uh, well, paranormal activity, UFO-related activities, uh, skinwalker sightings. And again, these go back decades. The ranch was acquired by the National Institute of Discovery Science to study these sightings. UFOs, Bigfoot-like creatures, crop circles, glowing orbs, poltergeist activity, as as well as skinwalkers. And the theory is that, again, (laughs) this area is kind of a thin membrane into an alternate universe. Got it. Which all of these things, maybe all of these sightings could be different, but come from the same source. Like the Black Lodge. That's two Twin Peaks references. Now, the ranch borders on the Ute Indian Reservation. It was dubbed the UFO Ranch due to uh, it's about a 50-year history of these events taking place. According to the book Hunt for the Skinwalker, the authors investigated or saw evidence to close, uh, of close to up to 100 incidents that include vanishing or mutilated cattle, sightings or unidentified flying objects or orbs, large animals with piercing red eyes, and you could shoot them and they would not, it would, they were unscathed. There is so much weird shit that happened on Skinwalker Ranch mm. that uh, you could do an entire podcast just on that. And I don't want to get into it too much because you could really get out into the weeds. But Skinwalker Ranch is not the only place where there have been these Skinwalker uh, sightings, not by a long shot. Okay. Ranker reports that in that book I mentioned, The Hunt for uh, the Skinwalker, the authors George Knapp and Colm Kelleher relay stories of those who came into contact with skinwalkers near Native American tribal lands. One account from a New Mexico Highway Patrol officer states that while patrolling the highways of New Mexico, he saw a skinwalker on two occasions. Uh, In the first encounter, a creature wearing a white mask appeared next to his window, seemingly attaching itself to his car door while he was driving at quite a high speed down down the interstate. But then he realized it was simply running along beside the vehicle, keeping pace with the highway speed. So it's kind of like the black dog thing with long-haul truckers, where you get overtired and you just start okay, to see the, things. Okay, the, the black the... dog, yeah. Yeah, maybe, could be. That's, that's a possible explanation. A few days later, though, in around the same area, he encountered the creature again. Oh. What makes this uh, tale even more intriguing is that at least one other officer claims to have seen the same creature while patrolling the same area. Oh, see, that makes things a little harder to explain. Unless everyone's just really tired. All the time. <laughs> this story comes from uh, Redditor Navajo Joe. I was a kid when this happened. My uncle and I were finishing up chopping or gathering wood for my grandmother because it was getting dark. Driving back on a dirt road at about 30 miles per hour, I had this awful sense of being watched. Before I could turn to look out my window on the passenger side, my uncle shouted quickly, Don't! I completely froze. My heart felt like it was beating out of my chest and then completely stopped when I heard a tap-tap on my window. My (sighs) uncle sped up and was loudly praying in my native language. I didn't know what was going on and thought it was all over until suddenly the truck bed dipped as if something got into it. My uncle started saying, look at me, do not turn around, do not look away, look at me. And then I heard it again, tap, 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 but from the rear window behind me. It was getting harder for me to breathe and I wanted to cry. A minute or two passed and the truck dipped again. 
My uncle looked around and sighed. It was quiet, besides the truck and the road. He looked at me and said, We will ask your father to do a prayer in the morning, so the evil thing will forget our faces. And he says that this was a rough Navajo to English translation. I remember curling up on the seat and just staring at the radio, watching the time, listening to my uncle sing an old prayer till we got to my grandmother's house. I called my uncle because I had a nightmare about that night. We talked a bit about it. He said, I didn't see faces, just eyes, like brake lights you see on the road. It watched you. Again, Navajo to English equivalent. But before hanging up, I tried to joke with him. Why didn't you just step on the brake when it got in the back? No laughter, just a pause. And he said, because it wasn't alone. <laughs> I don't like that. <laughs> this story comes from um, Redditor Neptune420. He talks about how his uh, father owned a delivery company. They had several pickup trucks, and he and his father were in one truck, and behind them was his father's friend, Travis, and girlfriend. They were coming back from a delivery somewhere on the highway between Winslow Rock and Gallup, New Mexico. It had just rained earlier in the day, and the road was kind of slick, so we, we were taking it pretty slow. On the left of the highway... There is nothing but sandstone cliffs. On the right, a huge field separating the road by a small barbed wire fence. We crest the top of the hill and down to the bottom of the hill, we see what appears to be a very large dog sitting back on its haunches in the middle of the road facing the cliff. My dad calls over the radio. Hey, Trav, do you see this big-ass dog? Travis starts yelling back over the radio. That is not a dog. Speed up and hit it now. He sounds almost hysterical. He keeps screaming, hit it. You just have to hit it. Please hit it, hit it, hit that fucking thing right now. So my dad starts to speed up and we get closer and I begin to see it a little more clearly. It's covered with this brown, wiry, matted hair that appears to have dried blood all over it. It's still facing the cliffs, but the moment our headlights hit it, it turns and looks at us and it has a face. I don't know how else to describe it other than a mix between a human face and a bear. Oh. It looked twisted and distorted, almost in pain. As we get closer to this thing, we start to realize it's actually fucking huge. Though it was only sitting on its haunches, its shoulder was the height of the hood of the truck. We were literally inches from hitting it when it let out this scream that sounded like someone screaming as their lungs were filling up with water. And it leapt backward toward the field, landing just on the side of the barbed wire fence. Then with another leap, it was gone from sight. Travis over the radio goes, holy shit, keep driving. We have to get out of here. We have to go faster. He kept repeating this part. We have to get out of here and we have to go faster. Pretty soon, we were speeding like crazy. And just as we start to come to the outskirts of Gallup, New Mexico, we pulled over. Travis pulls his truck over. Naturally, this makes a cop, a Navajo man himself, pull over as well. And he asks why Travis felt the need to pull over. Travis says, we saw a skinwalker a few miles back and it's been following us. The officer immediately turns white, stammers something about a verbal warning, gets in his car, and speeds off. We didn't see anything else that night, but when we got home, Travis refused to let us leave without taking some Navajo totem item that was supposed to keep this thing away. Wow. I can't help but think my my friend recently moved out to New Mexico, and when she lived here in Maine, 
um, I would do research about uh, sex offenders uh, who lived near her home. <laughs> yeah, I do like go to the sex offender registry and I'd like find out where they lived and worked, and then just send her like s- pictures of the sex offenders in her area. <laughs> so what the fuck do I send her now? Well, we need a skinwalker <laughs> like, register. Like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> One more story from Leisha Ninja. Again, this is from Reddit. We live in a rural community on the Navajo Reservation. My aunt and her two brothers were home alone while my grandparents had left for the evening to attend a uh, chapter house meeting. They were in the house, and like many people from the reservation, they don't have electricity. It had been dark outside for about an hour, and my aunt and my uncles were getting ready for bed. Outside, they heard noises as if someone was moving around. Outside, my oldest uncle went out the front yard and saw a black figure by the truck. This was immensely out of the ordinary because the closest neighbor was miles away. Whatever it was, opened the truck door, began to dig through the personal items that my family had left in the vehicle. My aunt and uncles were frightened by this sight and knew they should take action. So they took out a rifle and steadied themselves to hold it up. They flung open the door, aimed the gun at the dark figure. The figure turned and started to walk toward them, totally unfazed by the weapon. My uncle pulled the trigger, but nothing happened. Nothing happened. The gun didn't shoot or nothing happened. The shot didn't do anything. The shot didn't do anything. Okay. The figure drew closer and my aunt began to smell something that that smelled like a rotted corpse. It was so strong that it made her gag. My uncle continued to pull the trigger and still the beast kept coming closer and closer. Off in the distance, headlights were coming down the road. My grandparents were returning. The figure looked toward the lights and started to move away, tucked itself behind a tree near the house. My oldest uncle ran toward the truck with the gun. My grandfather got out of the car. My uncle pointed to the tree. The thing was poking its head out to observe what was going on. My grandfather then ran into the house, over to the stove, grabbed a handful of ashes, rubbed it over his gun, placed an ash-covered bullet in its chamber, and he walked out onto the porch, fired at the beast. The gunshot echoed, and the dark figure began running. My grandma chased my aunt inside, and my uncles and grandfather went after it. There weren't many roads or paths, so as my grandfather and uncles chased this figure... The truck was bouncing and the headlights couldn't fix on one particular spot. My uncle swears whenever the headlights would hit the figure, he saw a woman. Not only that, whoever it was, was running on all fours like a bear. My grandfather eventually stopped the truck. And as they neared the ditch that dropped 200 feet, he got out and he began to yell in Navajo. My uncle says that he was yelling about a local woman. He yelled that he wasn't scared and that he knew it was her and to leave his family alone. A few days later, there was news that this woman my grandfather had been yelling at died that night. I've always been told that if you know the skinwalker's name and you say their name... It will kill them. That's right. That's terrifying. It is terrifying. And you'll be even more terrified when you see a picture. Of what? what? You don't have a picture now? Of what some say is a real skinwalker. Do you have it now? Yes. I have to tell you, like this, you know how, I mean, you know, you you and me, we approach things differently. Um, this feels very Mothman to me. Well, it is often lumped in with Mothman mythology, this type of cryptoid. But what's different is that it's supposed to be, it's an evil shaman, somebody who has uh, chosen to become Mm. 
this evil entity. And in the book, the Skinwalker Ranch book that I read, there was a psychic that said that uh, he got the impression that this particular skinwalker that they had seen in this one incident was somebody that had become a skinwalker like 800 years ago. So apparently they can live for a long time. Here's the picture. Ah! No! <laughs> I knew it. I don't like that. No, because in your mind you can see it scampering uh, up the it's wall. Going up. Yeah. It's unnatural. I don't like it. Okay. Anyway, skinwalkers. Not real. Not cool. Uh, okay. I have no desire to go to Skinwalker Ranch, just so you know. I will go anywhere, pretty much, but... <laughs> Skinwalker Ranch, not on my list. Thank you. Good night. <laughs> we appreciate you guys hanging out with us. And, and by the way, if you want to support the Box of Oddities, you can do so by joining the premium channel on Himalaya. For your support, you get the episode a day early. You get it commercial free. You get uh, access to our back channel. And you get a bonus episode every month. Which there will be a new bonus episode soon. Yeah, in the next week or so. If you'd like to join... You can do so by going to our website, theboxofoddities.com, and click on the Support the Podcast link at the top of the page. Again, thank you so much for hanging out with us, and we cannot wait till we can uh, launch back into some live shows. Yes. This is something that uh, my, my soul is yearning for. We miss hanging out with you guys. And so we look forward to seeing you next time. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. Fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And don't look into the eyes of a skinwalker. Good advice. <laughs> and so, let it be known that the box of oddities belongs to you. And its fate is in your hands. Therefore, it's been requested by those to whom I report to beseech you for assistance. We ask but one thing of you provide a five-star rating and a positive review. True, that is two things. However, tis merely a five-star rating and a positive review. Also, subscribe to us. Okay, so three things is all we ask. Three things and three things only. Henceforth, the Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com Copyright 2020, all rights reserved. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world. Plus, tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast. Do you love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlwood, your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.